Welcome back to another episode of Coach Coddle's Corner, where you get to hear some of the greatest stories from some of the greatest people in the world of lacrosse. Coach, who do we have on the podcast today? Well, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to interview Coach Brian Holman, formerly of the Utah University of Utah, but he's a guy who grew up in Maryland, played lacrosse in Maryland, went to Johns Hopkins University, and then coached not only at Johns Hopkins, but also at North Carolina before he became the head coach of the University of Utah. But I'd like to get started a little bit because, you know, everybody's here and now and, you know, the culture is what, what have you done for me lately? But I want to talk a little bit about your Severn School experience. You know, you were a goalie at Severn School and uh, it got down. Who were you when you were looking for a place to go? Who, who was recruiting you in your senior year? Uh, thanks, Coach. I appreciate uh, you having me on. I really do. I, I looked at your list of uh, coaches that were on prior to me, and it's the who's who. So I'm, I'm very humbled to be on here with you today. So I appreciate it. Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky to get to Severn. I'm, I'm going to start there. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Southern Anne Arundel County and went to a public school, Southern of Harwood. Uh, and there was a coach there from Huntington, Long Island, Dick Keck, who was a really, really good lacrosse coach. And he was the guy that, that kind of uh, encouraged me to, to get to a private school or, or just play at a, at a higher level. Um, and we had a, some pretty good teams at Southern back in the day. Um, so uh, I looked at St. Mary's and Severn and uh, Kirk Kimball was coaching at Severn at the time. And I just really, really enjoyed meeting with Kurt and, and just all he had to say. And, you know, he was an ex-Maryland guy and, and uh, I just felt like that was the best place for me. And, and uh, to this day, I thank the good Lord of, of, of him allowing me to get into Severn because it, it really changed my life. Um, being able to play and go to a school like that, it's such a, a, a different uh, way, you know, uh, than the public school uh, system was at the time. And, and then, uh, and then I was lucky, you know, I, I, you know, played on some good Severn teams, had really, really good coaching um, from Kurt and his staff. Eddie Mullen was there helping out as well. Um, and, and I was recruited by really about five or six schools, Maryland being the number one school. Um, Carolina was in there, North Carolina at the time, and then a couple Ivy League schools. And I uh, eventually ended up at Hopkins, as you know, and and they didn't come in until later. They uh, ended up seeing me playing a hero summer league game uh, the summer before my senior year. And uh, Coach Chick reached out. And uh, uh, but I was I was kind of dead set on being a turp. And uh, Hopkins kind of came in at the last minute and and uh, and that kind of swayed me to, to end up being a Blue Jay. But uh, but, yeah, that's how that's how the seven process sure. went. So you go to Johns Hopkins. Tell me about your four years at Johns Hopkins. You guys won a national championship. You yep. might have finished second a couple times too, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, it would be three to be correct, uh, Dave. So uh, my freshman year was 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 my four years there were incredible. Um, you know, uh, at the time Hopkins was the preeminent school in lacrosse. Um, you know, I, I was. I played in, we played in four nat straight national championship games. I mean, I, I don't know if that can be done anymore uh, in today's world. Um, and I think at that time, that was our seventh straight national championship game. Um, 
So I was lucky, you know, I played behind Mike Federico uh, as a freshman and Piggy taught me the ropes three time first team all American and in my mind, pound for pound still one of the top two or three goalies to, to ever play this game. I don't think he gets enough recognition. Um, Michael was an incredible ball stopper, but a great athlete, uh, but just a better human being. Yeah. So, um, and then I was fortunate enough. I, I, you know, started and played the next three years. My, my sophomore year, we lost to North Carolina 14-13. We were undefeated and they were going into that game. And that was a really good game. Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story about that coach. I think you'll appreciate this. After that game, I felt like I let the team down. As a goalie, you know, you're, when you lose, you, 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 it always seemed to, to be on your shoulders. And when you win, it was, it was on the, the, the attackmen. We're always the heroes, you know. And um, I just, for some reason, just felt like I, I let the team down. And I never watched that game um, until when I was coaching at North Carolina. We were going to, up on a bus trip to play Hopkins. And one of our players bought the old uh, film out of a Carolina Hopkins game from 1980, I guess, or 81 it was. And it's the first time I ever saw the game. And that was 25 or 30 years later. And as I was sitting on the bus, the only good part about it is I knew we lost, but I actually played a decent game and I didn't feel as bad as, bad as I did <laughs> all those years. <laughs> so my junior years, we lost to North Carolina again, seven to five down at uh, UVA. It was a terrible lacrosse game on both sides. One of the hottest games I've ever played in my life, probably about 110 on that turf in the old Scott Stadium. Right. And then my senior year was a heartbreaker. We, uh, we lost to Syracuse 17 to 16. Uh, and it started Syracuse's run of 20 some odd straight final fours back in 1983. Uh, we were winning 12 to five going into the middle of the third quarter of that game coach. And, yeah. and uh, I use this experience a lot in, with my players when I coach about, you know, I, I, think, I, think, I think we thought the game was over at 12 to five and, and the wheels kind of fell off the bus. And that one, that one hurt. I've never seen that game. I've never, never watched that game uh, since 1983. That one hurt the most, um, but blessed, right? Played in four national championship games, won three, won one. Uh, you know, I always joke that the ball bounced a couple different ways and won a couple more. You know, the, the, my era of Hopkins teams probably went down as one of the greatest, but people really don't talk about us that much. But lessons learned, uh, good and bad, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Uh, the coaches that we had there and the experience and the players, uh, still some of my best friends, as, as you know, so how that works. So now the 83 game was at Rutgers. Is that correct? correct. I was at, I was actually at that game. And that was, you know, the, like you said, at the kind of the start of Syracuse becoming a power and they had what Brad Cotts, yeah, they had. Yeah. They, it, was, it wasn't that you know you lost to a you know you got upset by a team that had no talent. They they were yeah. loaded with talent. It was kind of the, the first time that they had put it all together. Yeah, and it yeah, just you're, happened you're, to be. Yeah, I, I remember because Henry Ciccaroni coached his son coached with us at Loyola, and I can remember watching that game. And who who were some of the great players you had on your team? Yeah, well, uh, early on, you know, Jeff Cook, God bless him, you know, Cookie's not with us anymore. Uh, Brendan Schneck, yeah. um, you know, Jeff Harris, uh, Bill Cantelli, you know, Henry Jr. Uh, was a great player, um, you know, on defense. You know, Dito was a freshman in that game, John DiTomaso. Uh, 
one thing about that game, a lot of people don't know about. So, so Syracuse uh, attack one of their attack men was uh, Timmy Nelson, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Timmy was a big, strong, about six four, six five player. Started out at NC State, and I think he transferred uh, back up at, to Syracuse. But I think he was their leading scorer, coach. If I wasn't, if I'm not mistaken. But we had a defenseman, Marty Bergen, and not a lot of people talk about Marty. Marty was uh, about six five. Every Played basketball for Hopkins, really good basketball player. And Marty, Marty was covering Timmy uh, and, and held him scoreless, I think, in the whole in the first half. Um, just a perfect matchup for us. Marty was really long and rangy and kind of kept Timmy mm-hmm. away from the physicality. Well, Marty tore his hamstring right before halftime and couldn't play in the second half. So our matchups got all discombobulated with, with Timmy Nelson. And it, it literally, it changed the whole face of the game. Um, you know, I think Timmy went on to have three or four goals in that game in the second half. Mm-hmm. You know, we started sliding to him really early, which opened up a lot for Brad Cotts in the midfield to, to start the scoring. So, again, something I, I talk about as a coach all the time with the players, like, you know, it only takes like one guy out of that mix. And you got to be prepared, you know, to be able to, to, to have another game plan in case one of those guys goes down. And, and I don't think I don't think we handled that really well. And, and that's uh, it was a learning lesson for me as a coach, uh, being a player at the time. But people don't talk about that matchup not working. But if you go back and look at that game, I know that Timmy didn't score in the first half and in the second half. And the other thing I'll say about that game too, Coach, and you know this, we were winning. Uh, I don't know what the score was at halftime, um, but I think I had somewhere around 13 to 15 saves at halftime. Right. And I just had that pit in my stomach, you know, like that I felt like that dam was going to break a little bit. It, it just didn't feel right. Like the score was not indicative of the play that was going on in the game. And, uh, and darn, I give them a lot of credit, man. Once they got that train rolling, they were, they were awful tough to stop. And, uh, and they kept it going for a long time. So yeah. Yeah. Roy Simmons, he was a great man. And yeah. now Marty Bergen is if, see if I if I got this right in my memory, I think he caught an over the shoulder pass against Navy really over the midline. <laughs> and it was really the first really violent buddy pass. And to this day, I think that that has had a lot to do with the changing of the rules. Coach, you're, you're, you're incredible. Uh, I threw that pass. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, Marty. Uh, and, and if you look at the film, big defenseman from Navy and I forget, you know, they always had big, strong, tough yeah. guys. Um, if you look at the film, he came, he, he was off sides. He came yeah. across the midline about a yard or two, yes, but, he did. but he took, uh, Marty had to have uh, implant surgery. His father was actually a dentist or orthodontist knocked two or three of his teeth, uh, upper teeth out. And it was, it was, it was the most violent hit I've ever seen on a lacrosse field, uh, ever. Um, but yeah, uh, that's amazing that you Did they call that. it all sides? I don't think they did call it all no. sides, did they? No, 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 they did not. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Navy had a bunch of, they were big, strong. They all looked the same. You yeah. Know. You know, they all look like, you know, Ukrainian and Russian, you know, big, strong guys. And <laughs> they would hit the living daylights out of you, too. But that was yeah. probably the most vicious hit I'd ever seen in a lacrosse game back then. 
So you graduate in 83. Yeah. So yeah. you didn't yeah. get into coaching right away, did you? On a full, what did you do full time for work when you graduated in 83? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll try to make it short, but an interesting story. So I, I really wanted to get into coaching. So Coach Chick, God bless him. And, they, and again, I want to mention him and, and Fred Smith, you know, uh, two, two of my idols uh, pattern, a lot of my coaching styles after both of those men, completely opposite approaches. Um, but, you know, plan for Chick at the time, as most players, uh, you didn't really appreciate all that he brought to the table until years later. Um, we were so prepared and we were so competitive. And he was, he was the most competitive human being I've ever met in my whole life. Um, and he brought that fire and spirit to us. And he was a tough guy, um, but it was tough love, you know, and, and I appreciated that. And, and Freddie was the grandfather. And, you know, there's a million Freddie stories out there. Yeah. Um, but, but Freddie really changed my life, Dave. I, I, uh, I didn't have a father growing up. And, and I, had, I had three older brothers, and they were all mixing and matching as a, as a dad to me. But, you know, Freddie was the first uh, man in my life that actually felt like really, really cared for me as, a, as an individual. And, and he did that to every one of his players, which was the magic of Fred Smith. Uh, it wasn't just me. It was everybody. So I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't talk about those two. Um, when it comes to Hopkins, but I met with Coach Chick. We all would go in as seniors and meet with Coach, and he, he would ask us what we wanted to do when we graduated. And I told him I wanted to coach, and he, and he actually it was the, probably the first compliment he ever gave me in four years. He said, "I actually, Brian, I think you, I think you'll be a good coach." And uh, so uh, he reached out to Willie Scroggs, and uh, he said to Willie, "You know, I've got Brian Holman," and Willie's like, "I'd love to have him," and I, and I was going to go down there and coach, mm -hmm. and. Uh, not for any money, you know, back then it was, I think it was like two grand and, and Willie said he could find me a job. And if I wanted to go to school, he could help me out with that and so on. Um, but Mark Greenberg, who was a teammate of mine, a great player, uh, who, you know, uh, was working for a mortgage company and he begged me to come in for an interview, uh, after two or three times of turning him down, I finally did. And Dave, uh, interviewed for a job and on the spot, the guy offers me 50 grand a year in a car. And that's 1983 yeah. and to a kid, to a kid that had no money ever, $50,000 was like a gazillion dollars. And, uh, I, I took the job. And, uh, so I worked for, uh, Greens's company for a couple of years. And, and then I started my own mortgage business, uh, in 1986 or 87, 86, because I moved back to Maryland. And then, and then I reached out to Zim who was coaching at Hopkins at the time. And, and Zim and I became really good friends because my senior year, he was, he became our assistant coach from North right. Carolina. And I actually helped him coach JV basketball my senior year at Hopkins. He was the head coach. We have some good stories about that. And, uh, and he brought me on the staff as a volunteer in 1986. And I worked with Zim from 86 to 90 or 91, whenever he left at that time. So, um, but that's Maybe how I got in. Yeah. And in 89, you won the championship over Syracuse, right? 87. So 87. 86, 86, we lose to uh, North Carolina right. in the semis. And Carolina ran the table of the three teams they had lost yeah. to that, that year. Virginia, us, and I forget who else it was. But um, 87, we come back. 
and beat Maryland in a semifinal game. Yes. And that was one of Maryland's great teams. They didn't um, have, they were undefeated going into They were that undefeated. Correct. Yeah. They were undefeated. Jimmy Bearmore was in the goal. And uh, Jimmy yeah. Bearmore and Hanley, and they had an attack that was, that yeah. was really, really good. Um, and we, yeah. we upset them, but we had and Brian then you played people. Cornell in the championship. Cornell. Yep. That's right. And Richie Moran. Yeah. They got it. Um, God bless him. And uh, we had, uh, we had Woody and, and Petro was a sophomore, I believe. And Quint, uh, good story about Quint. And uh, halfway through that season, uh, 87, Quint was a freshman. Um, we uh, were going to play North Carolina. We were one in four or one in three. And we were going down to play North Carolina. And Jim said to me, you know, what are, what are we going to do in a goal here? And I, and I said, we should start the freshman. And we started Quinn. That was his first game at Carolina with a one and three or one and four record. Because if we were lost down there, I, I'm not sure what would have happened. And Quint came in and played a really, really good game. And that, that was the beginning of his career. Um, and that was a, a tough year for us because that was a year uh, Freddie was sick. Coach Tierney, Billy was our, our uh, defensive coordinator at the time. And, uh, and Freddie was really sick, and he made it up for the '87 game, uh, for the uh, for the uh, uh, Maryland game, but he and he couldn't make it to the championship game. So there was a lot of emotions going on at that time. And, um, another quick story about that day, if you if you indulge me. Um, so I used to do a lot of scouting. So Jerry Piper and I were, were we scouted. Uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth with Zim was coaching the goalies, helping on the defense with Freddie and, and Billy, and then and doing a lot of the scouting work. Uh, with Jerry, who was a mastermind of, of a scout. And he actually put the game plan together to defeat Maryland um, through his efforts with the scouting. But after the 80, uh, after we beat Maryland, we stayed for the other semifinal game, which was Cornell and Syracuse. And, and I had Syracuse because they thought Cornell was going to win, so they gave you the team that they didn't think was going to win. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I'm scouting, and we were sitting in the stands, Jerry and I, and we would get there early. Jerry always liked to watch teams warm up. He'd like to sit as close as he could to the benches if he could pick up a call or hear some terminology or lingo. And I'm sitting down behind Syracuse's bench, and I'm looking at these two guys do uh, line drills, and it was the Gate Brothers, um, and they were freshmen. And I know there's been a lot of stories about Gary and Paul, but I look over to Jerry, and I'm like, watch these two. I've never seen any the, – the, just from sitting in the stands and looking at them doing pregame warm-up drills. And I think either Gary or Paul, one of those two had four or five goals in that game. And the other one had like three or four. And that was the first time that, that, you know, I had ever seen them. And I think that was kind of like a coming out party a little bit uh, that year. So, um, but yeah, great experience. In 89, we lost the heartbreaker. 88, we had a bad year. Um, you know, just didn't handle the situation well after a championship. And then 89, we bounced back and lost the heartbreaker to Syracuse at Maryland in the 13-12. Right. Yeah, that was, a, that was a big game, I think, for college lacrosse at the time. The place was packed. Um, yeah, so a lot of fun with Coach Them. So you won a championship as a player. You yep. won a couple championships at Hopkins as a yep. coach. And then you came back with John Hawes in 99 and 2000, right? And got to the final right. four, got to the final four there. And then what, what made you go to Carolina? 
Uh, you know, Dave, that's a, it's a great question. Um, and again, I, I hate to be long-winded about these stories, but they are stories. Um, so after, after Halsey went, Halsey asked me to go with him to North Carolina. Um, but it just wasn't right time for my family. We, you know, Lori and I had young kids. It's 2000. You know, Matthew was probably 12, 13 years old, 11 years old. And Marcus was nine or 10. Sydney was five or six. We, we had a beautiful home in Baltimore and just kind of established ourselves in that community. And this wasn't the right time um, to go. Um, so, you know, I, I basically was coaching rec league club ball. I never, this was, this is my first spring in 35 years coach that I haven't coached uh, a lacrosse team of some sort. Um, yeah. And, uh, I just thought about that the other day and, and, uh, but, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, and, and I credit my wife and my kids for this, um, they just said, Dad, you're 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 always seen your happiest, and you and you have such an impact when, when you're on the field coaching, and you seem to be at your best. So, so the Carolina thing came about um, after John left Carolina. Um, Zim called me and said, "I'm going to apply for the Carolina job, and if I go, would you go with me?" And I said, "Absolutely." I talked to Lori, and it was a different time in our life, right? Eight right. years later, things are different. Uh, and, and my middle son, Marcus, had actually committed to North Carolina under oh. John. So he, he was going there. Um, and then, you know, kind of halfway through the process, uh, Zim decided he didn't want to move and it wasn't the right situation for him. So he pulled his name out of the hat. And I was kind of our family was sort of bent on going there because we thought Zim was going to get the job. Um, so through the uh, employing of my kids and my wife, I tracked Joe Bresci down, didn't really know Joe, and convinced him to, to talk to me. And uh, he met me in the stands over at Jake Reed's. Uh, remember when Jake Reed's camp sure. was the big uh, recruiting camp? Yep, yep. And I met, I met with uh, Joe in the stands uh, about two hours before the camp was supposed to start. And we talked for literally two hours, Dave. In, in the stands, and then uh, they, Joe called me the following week and asked me to come with him uh, to North Carolina, uh, and that was 2008. Uh, so, as what a was volunteer, your, yeah, as a volunteer. So, your role when you first started at Carolina, what was your role to help Joe out? Uh, every everything and anything. <laughs> uh i did we, i did everything i mean i washed uniforms i i i filled the ball buckets uh i did whatever it took uh to help him and that program you know get better his goal was to bring them back to a national prominence they had a little gap there uh, my goal was to serve him any which way i could and help those kids you know be better human beings and heck my office was literally literally they built me a little room uh, like a closet and uh, it was literally right in the locker room. It was right next to the locker room. So, so I had the pleasure and the joy of every single day seeing every single one of those kids come in and out of their locker room. And they would pop their head in and sit down. And I'm a big reader. And I'd have a lot of my books in this little office. And they'd say, Coach, what, you know, what's that book about? What's that book about? I'd start handing books out to them. And I look back at that, and that was honestly one of the joys of my life, uh, being in that situation. Um, but yeah, it started uh, just doing whatever it took, you know. And I also helped Joe run his camps um, and kind of build that business up as well. And 
And uh, we had a glorious run there, man. It took a little while, but we won a championship eight years later, 2016, which was an incredible uh, run by that team and, and the program. And uh, so I, I'm forever grateful to Coach Bresh for giving me that opportunity and, and uh, letting me to, to, to do. And as, as the years went on, you know, I, I earned my stripes with Coach and I got more trust. And, you know, by the time I left there, I, I felt like, you know, I felt like that was, it was our team, you know, he and I, and, and, and we had a wonderful working relationship and that's, he was there and Chris Feist, who, you know, is just outstanding people to work with, man. It, we had a lot of fun and, and uh, really, really good coaches. I learned a, a ton when I was with him. I can remember making a call to Chris Feist in 2016, because you guys have been battling for it and hadn't really gotten over the hump to get to where you guys wanted to go. And I can remember, I said, Chris, you guys are good enough. I think you can win this thing. And unfortunately, you had to beat the Maryland Terrapins to get there, which that was not my scenario that I envisioned. And uh, because, you know, John done <laughs> such a good job. And But it was, it was, you know, as a friend of Joe Bresci's coming off of what happened with his son, going back to Ohio State, playing yeah. that game, you know, and the way the players at North Carolina wrapped their arms around that was uh, was incredible. And it's a story that, you know, it's a story a movie should be made of, you know, because yeah. It, yeah. it really may not have happened or should not have happened. I think you were lucky to get into the playoffs, right? You were one of the last teams and you played like Marquette or somebody like. Yeah. Oh, the dude, coach. Yeah. No, it was you, you hit the nail on the head. It was it was storybook. I mean, it. it we go to Marquette on the road. Uh, they're, they're, you know, new program. You know, Coach Amplo's a fiery guy. He had those kids. They were ready to run through a wall out there. And, and it's 35 degrees and snowing. And, and it was a ball game. I mean, we, I think we won by goal. It was 10-9. They were a man up. They were a man up uh, with about a minute and some left to go in the game. And it took a shot and it kind of deflected or ricocheted off of one of our players. We actually ended up, you know, getting that ball and being able to clear it. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a dog fight and, and we were lucky to come out of there with a win. And I think, as you know, uh, in, in the playoffs, those are the kind of games that actually like galvanize you. Like, like, you know, when you look at the, uh, the NCAA playoffs, you know, like look at Carolina playing playing Baylor this year, right? They they probably should have lost that game, right? But they find that you know there's a term that I use a lot in our program, and I use a lot in my life. Like it's called find, you know find a way, just find a way to win, find a way to compete, find a way to get shit done, and and we found a way to win that game in a tough environment, and I and I think that that kind of propped us up a little bit, and into what you said that we could do this, and then having to go back out to Ohio state and, and play Notre Dame who had been a Royal thorn in our side for a long time uh, was, was, you know, my faith is strong and, and I know Joe's faith is strong. There was, there was a piece of that going on there. I, I, I always believe that. Um, and then we handled Notre Dame pretty, pretty good. And then beat Loyola pretty handily in the, in the semis and then, and play the Terps in the final, which, you know, for my money, that was one of the best games in a long, long time. Um, you know, we, we, we 
you know, get to overtime by the great grace of God and, uh, and, and uh, includes, you know, hammers one home and the rest is history. So, yeah. Let me take a step back. Uh, you, you, you've been a father, you've been a parent. How did you find it to be, to coach your son at college? I, I, uh, honestly, coach, I, I loved every minute of it. You know, um, I, I, I'm very lucky, you know, I got, I have a great wife. We've been married for 35 years now and I, we've got three beautiful kids and I feel like our relationship with our kids is, is, is strong. All of them is, is strong and it's different for each kid. As you know, it's like coaching, right? Every one of those kids in your locker room brings something different to the table. And, and it's our job to, to figure out what that is and, 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 and figure out how you can encourage the, the, the best out of them. Right. And that was always the approach I took with our kids is, and so Mark, Mark and I had a really unique relationship. I I've been coaching him since he's been five years old, you know, through all the ranks up through club ball and so on. So, but we both were determined not to let it become a, a, a hindrance to our relationship. And, uh, and we didn't, and we, we had fun. And now the plus side is I ran the box. So I missed probably half the goals that he ever scored. Because <laughs> <laughs> as you know, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, so I would watch the game afterwards and be like, God, that was a nice shot. And Lori would, be, Lori would say, well, that, that was marvelous. You, and I was like, honey, I didn't see any of these things that were going on. And, and uh, so, so that was a plus. And then I was focused more on the defensive side at that time. Um, so I, I really wasn't with him. But, but you know, what a blessing. I, I go in that locker room every day and get to see my son. And, and, uh, and, you know, I will say this, one of the greatest compliments I ever have ever received in my life. And I, I you know, me pretty well. I'm not, I'm not one to, to tout a lot of stuff, but uh, one of the players on our team said to me that, cause he was asked the question of like, what's it like having a father son combo in the locker room or whatever and it was in an article and one of the players said in the article and then he told me later that coach Holman doesn't treat Marcus any different than he treats all the rest of us we're all like his sons and 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 then and that was my approach to it like I didn't treat Mark any different I mean he's been he's my son and every one of those kids in his locker room is like my son so when I'm mad I let him know that I'm mad and when I'm I'm not I you know I hug them all tell them all I love them but you know, I give Mark a swift kick in the ass just as much as I give the next guy, right? So, uh, yeah. but but it was a it was a blessing, and we were blessed. All three of our kids played at North Carolina when I graduated from there, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a Blue Jay by trade, but but Carolina has a has a whole lot of our heart, uh, nope. you know, as far as the family goes. So, no, now Carolina, you win the championship. How does the Utah thing come about? <laughs> yeah out of the blue out of the blue so you know um we won the championship and 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 you know I was kind of at a crossroads Dave honestly in my professional career I, I we were either going to stay at Carolina for as long as Joe would have us which I felt like we could be forever um because it's a great school and it's a wonderful place to live and and we were I was we were really happy there um but there was there, you know, there was just that bug inside of me that that said, you know, geez, you know, can, can, can I be a head coach at this level? Can can I do this job? And 
you know, I've never shot away from a challenge and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a gambler when it comes to like taking opportunities. And, um, I kind of let it known to some friends that I, if the right, if there was a job out there as a head coach, I'd like to look into it, uh, interview for it. And lo and behold, uh, two weeks after the championship, I get a phone call from a buddy of mine that said that there's a guy that wants to start a program out in Utah and he's a big donor, has a lot of money and he's looking for a coach. And I just told him, no way. Like literally that, that isn't going to work. Right. There's no conference. And I don't even, I didn't even know where Utah literally was on the map to be quite honest with you. Um, so I get a phone call from this donor about a week after that. And he says, can I talk to you? And I'll kind of speed the story up, but, 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 I told him I wasn't interested and he called me back again about two weeks later and said, Brian, I've done a lot of research. I've talked to a lot of people. I think you would be a perfect guy for this. And I told him, no, thank you. And then, and then when I hung the phone up, my wife was heard the conversation and she asked who it was. I told her, and she's like, well, why, why wouldn't you go out there and just at least look at it? Like what, what would be the harm in that? And I was like, you really, you want to pack up and move all the way across the country. And, and she's like, ah, whatever. Right. So I flew out. I met with David Nealman, um, who was the donor, and and uh, David uh, was the founder of JetBlue Airlines, and at the time was starting some other airlines over in, in Brazil. Um, he's from Utah, went to the University of Utah, and had a lot of, uh, of connections. Um, and I met with David, and I, I really liked him as a human being. Um, a quick story about that is I stayed at his house in in, in Deer Valley, a beautiful home. And uh, I wake up the next morning, I'm an early riser, and, and he's down in the kitchen. It's just he and I in this, he's got about 30 bedrooms in his house. So it's just <laughs> he and I in this mansion, right? And I was lost trying to figure out how to get down to the kitchen. And he's down there cooking us breakfast, you know, uh, and it just, that meant a lot to me, just that he's that type of human being. And, uh, and fast forward, um, we, we took the chance, and it was a chance, Dave. I, I, I don't think people really realize how hard it was to put this thing together because there was no guarantee there was no no guarantee that the athletic department wasn't all in um david even wasn't all in with the amount of money that he was going to contribute uh and and we packed up and moved to utah on on a you know guarantee to take over a club team pretty much was the only guarantee that we had and i reached out to marcus and and he said absolutely and will manny who who i'd known will for years where he used to work all of our brushy camps. And I know, I knew what kind of worker he was, as you know, back in the old day, that's how you hired assistants. And sure. They would work, they would work camps for you and you would see, you know, who's the guy grinding on a 105 degree day at the last session of camp and Will's that guy. Um, and then I asked Adam Gittleman to come along and, 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 and they all agreed to take a chance on, on starting lacrosse out West in Utah. And, uh, and our premise day was 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 just that it was expanding the game that we love, going into an area that that has growth potential. Uh, and if we were fortunate enough to get a D1 program at Utah, that would have been the cherry on the top. Um, and and we we were there for five years, and and we and we, and we did it, and we and we 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 really worked extremely hard to make that happen. Uh, it just uh, it, it didn't it didn't happen just because some donor walked in the office and plunked down a lot of money. Uh, it happened through a lot of hard work from a lot of people in the community and, and, uh, and some support in the administration. Uh, Kyle Brennan, who's no longer there, was a huge advocate for us. He's 
now the athletic director at Illinois State. So uh, I know that's a long-winded story, but there's no, a lot to that. No, not at all. And people want to yeah. hear it. So your first two years, you took over a club program. <laughs> now, I saw the second year. I can remember watching one of those club games online to see how Utah was doing. But yet the second year, you were 18-1, and one, something like that, 17-1, and one, something. You had a tremendous yeah. year. Tell me yeah, about that. Yeah, no, that was that was that was awesome. I mean, again, you you know, you go for winning a national championship. I tell this story all the time. I'm 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 walking up the hill for our first scrimmage in the fall uh, against the perennial power out there, BYU, who who owned lacrosse in Utah, uh, and 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 really were good. I mean, there's some some of these club teams, coaches, you know, like Chapman, and they have yeah. some really nice players playing for them. So. But I'm walking up the hill with our team before the game to go to, to play at this scrimmage. And, and I get up there and, I, and we're, we're huddling up before the game. And I, and I said, guys, you know, I just, it just struck me. It was funny. The last time I stepped on a lacrosse field was we, we had just won a national championship, you know, playing Maryland. Now here I'm out here in Utah coaching a, a terrible <laughs> club team against the – going up against one of the, the better club <laughs> programs. And it just – it was an incredible experience. Um, we we took a program that that were perennial losers. Um, I don't think they ever won more than four games. Um, and I'm really proud of this too. Is in our first year we went ten and six, and we we actually won the RMLC, the conference that we we're in, which was Colorado State in Colorado. Right. Um, we still couldn't get over the hump with BYU. They 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 they, they, they you know they beat us pretty good a couple times and. And then our second year, we were 17 and 0, heading into the playoffs, and we got to a quarterfinal game, and we lost to BYU by a goal. Um, we had a really, really tough penalty call against us um, in the last two-minute non-releasable, and the last couple minutes, and they scored a couple man-up goals on us to win. So, you know, but but we were ranked number one for most of the year, uh, and we really took a program that had struggled and 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 taught those guys how to win. And I'm really proud of that. And, and, you know, and that's a process, as you know, uh, you know, but it, 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 it was the framework for our culture at Utah started with that club program and, and, and we built it from the ground up and, uh, and those kids did a wonderful job. And then, then the third year we, we, we were a division one program. We, we finally got over the hump. We got the school behind us and, and they, the uh, athletic department, agreed to, to bring us on as a D1 program um, you know, for our third year. So a lot of fun with those club teams, though, Coach. You, 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 you would have loved it. Um, just a, a blast coaching them and, and, and teaching those kids and, and working with kids that, that weren't great lacrosse players but really good, tough human beings that, that wanted to learn how to win. So uh, I appreciate you asking me about that. Yeah. Now tell me about – so you, you, the first year you're coaching, the second year, is it the second or the, it was the second or third year COVID hit. Tell me about the whole COVID experience. How, what happened to you guys on that? Yeah, that, that was, that's, as everybody has a story with that, that was a tough go. Um, we were, we were actually, uh, we were, I think we were two and two or three and three at the time. Um, I, our first year, we went five and ten. Um, we we won three games in a row, which I was really proud of. Uh, you know, we took Duke 
uh, into the third quarter. We had, I think we were down by a goal. We should have been up by a goal at halftime down in Durham. And, and we competed really hard. I was really proud. And, and I felt, I felt the school actually felt like we were, this was something that was going to work. So our second year, we, 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 we started it out and, and then we started struggling a little bit, but I think we were three and three and, and we were going to play UMass on Long Island. And uh, we fly uh, to, to Long Island and uh, I'm talking to Coach Canella on the bus on the way over there. And he's like, you know, I don't think we're coming down. I don't think we can leave. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And, I, and, and this sounds strange, but I knew COVID was a thing, but I really wasn't paying as you know, you kind of get in a rabbit hole as a coach. It wasn't, I wasn't really looking at television. I don't watch television anyhow, but I, I wasn't looking at TV. I wasn't no social media. I'm not a social media guy. So I didn't know what was going on. And he, I asked, I was like, Greg, what are you talking about? And he's like, Brian, like this thing is, there's something serious going on. And then the players obviously had heard about it. And so he, we, we had to cancel that game on Long Island and we were in Long Island. So I say to him, we'll run a bus. Will you play us? If you can't leave, I'll come to you. Like I'm already out here. Like, so we get on the bus and we drive up to UMass and we get there and I'm literally changing in my, in our room to go have practice on a Friday. And my athletic director calls and says, you need to come home. And I why? <laughs> you know, I said, we got, I'm up in Massachusetts. We got a game the next day. And he's like, no, no you know, you need to come home. And, and so I talked to Greg and he's like, yeah, we're, we're, we can't play. And uh, so we spend the night in a hotel and then it got kind of, it got a little scary to be honest with you. Parents were calling, kids were really confused uh, on what was going on. You know, we're traveling uh, buses and airplanes and so on. Um, so we, uh, we got a flight out of Boston the next day and we get to the airport and it's, it's kind of scary. People were, were scrambling all over the place. The mass thing hadn't really come into play yet. Um, but we ended up getting the kids back home safely. And uh, our athletic director, my assistant athletic director, met us at the bus and said that all the kids are going home. And we literally got off the bus. And within two days, every one of our kids had left to go home. And that was it. That was it. Uh, and just uh, one of the strangest events ever for all of us right but but being in the middle of the season was just really it's hard to explain you know how everybody felt so uh, but yeah when you think back to your time at Utah what were the most p positive things that happened to you while you were there oh my gosh coach I mean it you know it, it it's hard to explain I mean, you know, it really, it, for me personally, and I'll be a little selfish here for a second, and then I'll get into the really nitty gritty. Uh, it, it really proved to me that, 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 you know, I can do this job and, and, and do it in, a, in, in the right way. Um, you know, the young men, the lives that, that we affected out there in such a positive fashion. And again, I'm not bragging. It's just, it just, it's just our method and the way we go about it. To see some of these kids grow exponentially uh, from, from boys to men, literally, uh, and, and 
and and be able to go out into the world and, and they're going to be they're going to be good people so it's it's to me it's just all about the kids and the relationships it's just it's everything to us it's everything in my life and that's why i i coach and i want to coach and you know so so that and 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 being able to build something in your in your in your own vision i guess we're sharing it with will and mark and adam and Lori and and we had a lot of support with with the community out there i mean heck dave when we left there you know there we're putting you know two thousand people in the stands every saturday and we we had a club program that had 220 30 families in it so you know that started from scratch and 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 built up in a short period of time so so our mission was accomplished we 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 lived up to everything that we said we were going to do when we were out there you know we were going to we were going to infiltrate the community we were going to bring the love and the passion of the sport of lacrosse to salt lake city in utah and the west we were going to build a division one program that is that can stand on its own merits which which utah is doing right now uh and will do i, I hope and pray for a long time uh and we were going to expand the sport westward and and uh i'm just so proud of of everybody that was involved with it and, it, and it's something Honestly, I, I, I would never change that experience for anything else. It's one of the most rewarding things we've, we've ever done uh, as a family and as a human being. Um, and now I'm hoping to get another shot at it somewhere. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, um, but yeah. If you had to do something, if you had to do it all different in Utah, would there be anything you'd change? I, I mean, honestly, Dave, no. No. Good. No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what we did and and uh and no i wouldn't i really wouldn't um you know maybe would have called a timeout in one of our games a little bit earlier and saved a possession but I, but other than that no i i you know it's just uh it was an incredible experience and we handled everything in in, in first class fashion i'm just really proud of that so thank you so uh, that, that that's always easier when you can put your head on the pillow and sleep like a baby at night uh, knowing that you, sure. you gave everything you had to the players, to the staff, and to the university that you, you went out there to work with. Now, right now, what would you like the next chapter of the Brian Holman story to be? Well, um, I mean, honestly, Coach, I, I just want another shot. Uh, we, you know, we'd like to get back into the game and, and, and coach at the, the collegiate level, ideally, um, being able to if it's building a program, great. Uh, we've got, I've got a ton of experience doing that. Um, you know, I think it would be easier the second time around. Um, you know, not less work, just maybe be able to be smarter about certain things and quicker uh, on decisions. But, uh, and if it's not, I, I know that we can come in and create a culture uh, in an existing program that, that will replicate what Utah is doing right now. And that's built on the pillars of our program and, 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 and teach and, and help these young men, you know, learn how to grow up to be, to be better young men. And, and lacrosse is a vehicle, as you know, it's not, it's, it's not why we do this. You know, I, I do it. We do it. Cause I do it. Cause I love it. I, I love working with the kids and I know I have an impact on that Dave, And that's, that's something I'm really missing right now. Um, I didn't think so when, when, you know, when I, when we left there, but, now that I've had some time to reflect and resonate and really look inward, um, you know, I'm, I'm good at what, 
what I do. I love what I do. I love being with those kids and I know that I can help them be better men. So I want an opportunity to, to be able to, to, to do that again somewhere. So, well, coach, you deserve an opportunity. I hope you get that opportunity and the people that will benefit from it are your players and coaches that you work with. I really enjoyed this hour with you, coach. I appreciate you taking the time to, to kind of speak about your career because I know there's a lot of people that are interested in finding out how you're doing. And it's been a great day and uh, I hope to see you soon. And I want you to put this on your calendar right now. We may need a color guy for LSG for some of these MIA games. So I want you to know you'll be getting a call soon. I'm in coach, anything you need, I, I, I'm in. Maybe I could take Shriver's place, right? Oh, we'll, we'll fire his, him, get, we'll fire get him. Get him out of the booth, yeah. right? Who's he? He's at his day, no, <laughs> I, I love it, thank you. Dave, I really, I really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I really My do. pleasure. I have a good, have a good day, Coach. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye bye.